Little boys growing up in ancient Israel were just like little boys growing up anywhere. They loved to listen to stories. And at night, as their parents would tuck them in bed, the parents would inevitably hear the same questions that's been asked throughout all the millennia of human history. Tell me a story. Tell me the story of how David, the shepherd boy, killed the giant, the boys would ask, or the girls might say, tell me the story how God answered Hannah's prayer. But the stories that everyone loved to hear were the most mysterious stories of them all. They were the stories about the angels. Jewish boys and girls in the days of old heard a great number of stories about the angels, and some were taken directly from the Hebrew Scriptures. Others were taken from uh, what we might call ancient Jewish wisdom, commentaries, and widely accepted teachings at the time. And the little boys and girls of that day would learn all about the seraphim, angels that had six wings and proclaimed God's glory. They would learn about the cherubim, who guard the way to the tree of life in Eden. They would learn about the powers and the principalities, the thrones and the dominions, all of these things uh, somehow seemingly specially mystical in the heavenly sphere. Jewish boys and girls knew that there was a reason that God was called Yahweh Sabaoth, which means Lord of hosts, over 250 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because the Lord of hosts really means Lord of armies. And God is called the Lord of hosts because He leads a vast army of angels. And so buried deep within the minds and the hearts of Jewish boys and girls at a young age were the stories about how the Lord's army of angels sometimes came to earth to destroy things. These were the destroying angels. And they came to, for example, most famously, to Egypt and the plagues. In Psalm chapter 78, the 78th Psalm, verses 44 through 49, it reads this way. He turned their rivers into blood, and they could not drink from their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which fed on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hail and sycamore fig trees with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers. It was the invading, devastating army of God that did all of this. And so if you, in that day, were a young Jewish boy or girl hearing these stories at night, undoubtedly the moral of the story would be clear. If you ever encounter an angel, watch out.
make sure you're good because he might be coming for you. And if you ever encounter a whole host of angels, you're really in trouble because God is ready to wage war. Well, little Jewish boys become big Jewish men. And they sometimes become fishermen or accountants or farmers or some even become shepherds. And when we get to the second chapter of the book of Luke, where I invite you to turn with your, in your Bible with me, in Luke chapter 2, in verse 8, we read these words. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So get the picture. It's at night, and other than the light of the moon or the stars, which may not have even been visible that night because of overcast clouds, we don't know, there was darkness all around. And that's when the angel appeared, standing on the ground directly in front of them, and with the angel came an intense and brilliant light of God's glory. Now, I don't know any more than you do exactly what this angel looked like, but I can't help but imagine that this was something more frightening than the overly feminine Valentine's Day angel images that we've become so accustomed to. I believe the angel may have looked much more fierce and warrior-like. And I want you to remember that soon this angel, whatever it looked like, would soon be joined by a whole army of angels, a host of angels. And all of this was witnessed by the shepherds, and it absolutely terrified them. And the fear that had been implanted in the hearts and the minds of these grown men at an early age now became realized. This is not a man standing in front of us. The light that accompanies this man is not because he's holding a torch. This is a supernatural encounter. This is an angel from God. Is he here to kill us? Verse 10 we read, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This angel, as terrifying as he might have been, was not bringing death. He was not even bringing bad news, but he was bringing good news. The term good news is the exact same term that we get the word evangelism from. This angel was bringing a witness. This angel was bringing good news about a Savior of the world. He was bringing, literally, he was bringing the good news of the gospel to these shepherds that day. And it was not only good news, but it was good news of great joy. You know, if you were to go back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Scriptures, and you were to read all of the prophecies that talk about the coming kingdom of God, certainly you're going to find a number of places where there's going to be judgment 
right? And even in our own New Testament, we, we look forward to the days of Revelation and other passages which talk about the coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know with his return, there is some level of judgment on the world. However, when you're reading either the Old or the New Testaments, you also find that with the coming of the kingdom of God, there is joy. There is great joy for God's people. And so the angel is announcing that God's kingdom is coming and is coming with the arrival of the Messiah. The arrival to this world of the Messiah. And the angel says in verse 11, Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus is given three titles in this little verse by the angel. He is the Savior, He is the Messiah, and He is the Lord. This, the idea of Jesus being our Savior says something about who Jesus is, that He's the only Savior of the world. He's not one of many saviors. He is the singular Savior of mankind. He's the Savior of the world. But it also says something about us. If He's the Savior of the world, then we are the ones who need to be saved. And so I would ask you very plainly, very clearly, as I can today, have you experienced salvation? Have you been saved from your sins, by Jesus. And if you want to be saved, you have to understand who you truly are, that you're in need of a Savior, you are a sinner against God, and that He has come to save you. And if you want to be saved, not only must you acknowledge that you are a sinner, but you must turn away from your unbelief and embrace Jesus, believe in Him and Him alone to save you, from your sins, to trust in the Lord Jesus. So He is our Savior. He is the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who's been long promised with prophecy after prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures. And now, on this day, to the shepherds, He has finally come. And the Messiah is the one who delivers us. And He is also the Lord. The Lord is the one who rules. This term Lord is typically used of God, and that's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the Bible says in that same chapter, Romans chapter 10, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And you might say, well, well you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. What Jesus has done outweighs whatever bad you've done, if you want to look at it that way. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he didn't die for some of your sins. He died for all of them. And so as, as terrible as uh, you may think of yourself, as bad of a sinner as you may think of yourself, as many problems as you may think you might have, Jesus is your Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Trust in him. And He will save you. He'll redeem you. He'll begin to turn your whole life around. He really will because He is God. He has the power to do that. And then in verse 12, we have this strange little verse where the angel says to the shepherds, This will be the sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, if these shepherds knew their Jewish history, if they, they understood, if they were taught at early ages, I believe they probably were. Not only the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, but also uh, other teachings of that time that were very common, they may have picked up on the fact that these were two signs, a baby wrapped in cloth and this baby lying in a manger. These were, were very important little clues as to who exactly this baby might be as to what God is doing in human history. And so, in just a few moments after the shepherds encounter with the angel, and in, and in a moment the whole army of angels is over, the next thing the, the shepherds will have to do is they have to get their way to Bethlehem. That's the city of David. Everyone knows where the city of David is. So they have to get their way to Bethlehem. And then they needed to find a stable. A stable is a place where you keep animals at night, especially. Keep them warm. Keep them safe. And so they were to look for a stable, but inside a certain stable, there wouldn't just be animals, but there would be a family. There'd be a young man and a young lady, and there'd be a baby there. And the baby would be sitting or lying, if you will, in a manger. And the baby would be wrapped up tight in cloth. And so that's the order of things as they would uh, encounter all of this in just a, a moment. Now, if they knew their Jewish ancient teachings, they might have remembered there was an ancient story, and you're probably not familiar with it because it's not in our Bible. It's extra biblical. It may be a little bit of folklore. It may be a little bit of uh, wishful thinking, but the story in that day went like this, that when Adam sinned against God and he ate of the forbidden fruit, Adam became very worried. Adam grew very worried that God was going to take a rope and tie him to a manger and make him eat grass like a donkey. And you might say, well, that's silly. That's a, that's a ludicrous story. Well, silly or not, that's an actual story that we read about in Jewish history. And so this story may have been in the back of the shepherd's mind when they heard this idea of a baby somehow being connected to a manger. But as the story of old goes... God didn't do that to Adam. God didn't take a rope and tie Adam to a manger and make him eat grass like a donkey. Why? Because as bad as Adam's sin may have been, Adam was nevertheless not an animal. Adam was a man. And so the moral of the story is that even though we might sin, we are still made in the very image of God. And there's dignity there. And so God treats us with dignity. And so you'd have this idea of this little story with Adam in the manger and being connected and tied to it. And I want you to keep that story in the back of your mind because it may have been in the back of the shepherd's mind as it was a semi-popular story at the time. And then the other part of what the shepherds were told by the angel has to do with this baby wrapped tightly in cloth. This baby was, as King James would say, swaddled. You know what a swaddled baby is? It's when you take a baby and you wrap the baby up and its arms can't move and it's all just wrapped up like a loaf of bread almost. Why would anyone ever do that to a baby? Because it's cold at night and the heater out in the open air didn't work. Wasn't a lot of electricity back then. And so you'd, you'd swaddle that baby. If you cared for the baby, you'd make sure that baby is nice and warm and protected from the frigid air 
Well, if the shepherds knew their scripture, they may have remembered what happened in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 is a prophecy against the wicked people of Jerusalem of that day. And the wicked people of Jerusalem had committed a grave sin. They had forsaken the Lord. They left the Lord. God reached out to them in love, and they turned their back on God. And so in Ezekiel chapter 16, Jerusalem is described or pictured as this. Jerusalem is so despised that on the day of its birth, no one even wrapped it up in cloths. Can you imagine a baby being so despised that its mother would not even protect it from the frigid air? That is the way Jerusalem was. So despised because they had left the Lord. The shepherds may have remembered that from Ezekiel chapter 16. And so eventually, in just a moment, when the shepherds would eventually make their way into Bethlehem and find the stable and find the family and find the manger and find the baby in the manger wrapped in cloths, they would have realized that unlike sinful Adam, this baby is connected to a manger. And unlike the despised people of Ezekiel chapter 16, this baby is wrapped in cloths. And so here they would encounter a baby who's wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And this baby, it would be indicated to them, is the one who is at the same time both a substitute for Adam and nevertheless, he is the one who received God's favor. Adam was sinful, and yet Adam received mercy. Here's a little baby who is connected to a manger. Jerusalem was sinful and despised. But here's a little baby who has the favor of God upon him. And so the shepherds are almost ready to make their way to Bethlehem, but there's one other announcement that interrupts them. And this time it's an entire army of angels that appear before them. Verses 13 and 14, Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. It is because Jesus, this little baby, is the Savior, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, that God receives the highest glory. It is because Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah and the Lord that we are the recipients of God's Shalom, his peace. And it is because Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah and the Lord that we can believe in him and through our belief we become the people that God favors. Now why does God favor only rest upon those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That is because it is the nature of God and it is the nature of belief. In Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. If you don't have faith in God, it's impossible to please him. But if you do, he is well pleased by your faith. Well, what about all my bad actions? Jesus paid the penalty for those. What God is looking for now in you is whether you believe. And so in verses 15 and following, we read what else happened to the shepherds. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Everything the shepherds said. Mary listened to intently. And it's as if she closed her eyes and buried these memories deep in the vault of her mind, deep in the recesses of her heart, because she never, ever, ever wanted to forget this experience and who this baby is that she gave birth to. And these memories that Mary placed deep within her heart and her soul became very valuable to her throughout her life. You see, she would recall these things when just a few years later, she and Joseph would have to flee Israel and make their way safely to Egypt to escape the murderous plans of King Herod. Some 12 years later, she would remember these things when this same child, would tell her, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? She would remember these things 30 years after his birth when her son left her to begin his ministry. She would remember these things when she would get reports that her son seemingly kept making more and more outlandish statements and so she would seek to intervene. But then she was told by her son that she needed to believe in him if she wanted to be part of his family. And then her son had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. And he was crucified on a cross. And even there on the cross before he died, this same son, gave her a brand new family, a spiritual family that would take care of her. And it was this same son who resurrected from the dead, told her and others to wait in Jerusalem for his promise to come true, that they would soon receive the Holy Spirit of God. What was it that anchored in Mary's soul a lifelong belief that her child was God in the flesh? It was the message of these unnamed shepherds.
that came and found her and told her these things. And then in verse 20, the final thing we read about these shepherds seems like a small thing, but it's really not. It says the shepherds returned. Returned where? Returned to their jobs. Returned to their lives. Returned to their families. But the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You know, in verse 20, if that last phrase was left out, I would be tempted to interpret it this way, that the shepherds returned and they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, meaning the angels, right? I mean, you have an angel encounter, you have a whole army of angels show up, that's a big thing. But that's not primarily what they praise God for. What they praise God for is found in the last phrase. They praise God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. What was just as they had been told? The baby was just as they had been told. The angel told them all the specifics about that baby. That the baby would be wrapped in cloth. The baby would be in the manger with his family. That is what they were praising God for. The angels were simply messengers. But what's more important than the messenger is the message. The message is this, that these shepherds, they got to see the Savior of the world before anyone else except for Joseph and Mary. That is what they were praising God for, that everything the angels told them was exactly right. I want to ask you a question. It's a very simple question today. Have you found the Savior of the world? Have you found Him? The shepherds found Him because they listened to the message from God. The Savior of the world is still to be found today by those who are seeking after Him. And God makes its promise, if you seek after Him, you will find Him. God has made that promise come true in my life and in so many other people's lives in this room. If you seek Him, you will find Him. So seek Him today.